Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or in silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks of giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Let's pray for the message. Father, we just ask that hearts would be open to receive the words that you have, and we pray for Brother Davis. He brings a message that you would give us the words that we need to hear. Help us to impart them this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We are in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Last week, we covered up, we covered over how you can be a believer and have victory in this life over your sin nature. We talked about the believer has to be obedient to new plans. You present yourself to God. The believer has to be obedient with his new strength. You're alive from the dead. The believer has to be obedient to the new battle of righteousness to God. The battle to do righteousness rather than sin. The believer is to be obedient to the new king. For sin's not the master over you any longer. So you have Jesus Christ as your master. The believer is to be obedient over the, with the new power. You're under grace, not under the law. And we talked about the differences of victory over sin. One pastor was, uh, well, he had a habit. Pastors have habits. He would have a habit of always being thankful in his prayers. And uh, one stormy morning, Sunday, he had a member of his congregation make fun of him and thought to and said to him, Preacher, we'll have nothing to say thank you for to God today because of how bad the weather was. And uh, I think the preacher heard him. And the preacher, in his prayer, said, We thank you, God, that it's not always like this. <laughs> I like that. 
you can find something to be thankful about all the time. And today, we're going to talk about some requirements that the Bible has on you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And then we're going to talk about eight things that God gives you that will make those two commands easy for you to do. So, we're going to start with the commands. Don't go too deep on me. Okay? We're going to just cover it lightly. Don't want any depression. Don't want any hardships here. We're going to look at verse 15. What then? Shall we, shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? The answer, may it never be. Uh, Paul was taught in his rabbi school to ask questions and answer questions and start debates with his students. And basically he's doing the same thing here. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he answers the question, may we never be. What's going on here are restrictions that come to believers. Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there are restrictions. What restrictions do believers have in their struggle with your old self? What are the struggles? What are the restrictions? What does God tell you not to do? First thing, number one, believers are not allowed to enjoy sin. Believers are not allowed to enjoy sin. What then? If the law does not control the believer, if you're under grace, God's grace covers all sins, does that mean that you can go out as a believer and sin all you want and still have those sins covered? So that you can go and sin, 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 knowing that God's grace will cover it. He says, may it never be. He's thinking about a person. He has a person in mind that thinks that because he's under grace, that he has a license to sin, and he won't be held accountable for his sin. I can do it. It's just a little sin. It's my favorite sin. I'll do it, and I won't hurt anybody. It'll just be between me and God, and I'll sin. And I'm covered by God's grace. So maybe I can get away with it. <sighs> Augustine, talking about this passage, he uh, wrote that uh, believers are a horse. I didn't call you a horse. Augustine did. You're a horse. And on your saddle, you either have Satan or you get Jesus Christ. Satan or Jesus Christ. You have one person controlling you. Satan or Jesus Christ. There is no, uh, no uh, help me out if you have horses. There's no tandem horse. There's no two horses stuck together. There are no two saddles. You get one. You... Get one person to control the horse. And in this case, Romans 6 is talking very clearly. You either have sin or you have righteousness. 
sin or righteousness. And they're the ones controlling your life. Notice what he says. Shall we sin? The Greek term is written without an article, so it seems to indicate that he's talking about an individual sin that you do maybe on Monday and then do on Wednesday. Some kind of sporadic sin. Not that you're doing it all the time. These sinful actions and your sin nature are in a state of being that contradicts or goes against the nature of God. But you are under grace. The phrase under grace is not used anywhere else but in verses 14 and 15. Paul says it under grace. Grace here, being under grace, seems to talk about grace gives glory to God and gives the believer the source of every blessing. So from grace, you get every blessing possible. You get every blessing. Therefore, he's saying that you should not sin as a believer in Jesus Christ. May it never be, by no means. Salvation or grace is, a, is allowing the sinner to be free from the chains of sin, not free to sin. You're free from sin, you're not free to sin. Everybody with me? Okay, next verse, 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? What restrictions do believers have in their struggle with your old self? Number two. Believers are not allowed to serve sin, not allowed to serve sin, and serve righteousness at the same time. You cannot serve both at the same time. You cannot be a slave of righteousness and sin at the same time. It has to be one or the other. You do not have the ability to be a slave of both. As slaves, in other words, talking about a complete and utter devotion to your master. You cannot be completely, utterly devoted to your master's sin and say that you are a slave to righteousness. You can't do that. You either have to obey one and disobey the other, or disobey one and obey the other. The one you obey is your master. The believer cannot trust Jesus Christ one minute and next minute trust the words of Satan. You cannot do that. Notice the phrase there, either of. Either of. Written to indicate there are two options here. There are two masters. Sin and righteousness. Sin, we've talked about that before. The definition of sin being that it's contrary to the nature of God. You cannot be in a state of being contrary to the nature of God and say that you are able to do righteousness. Obedience resulting in righteousness or of. Here's the other option. A person cannot be both alive and dead. You cannot be righteous and sinful. 
You cannot be two spirit, you cannot be in two spiritual worlds, worlds at the same time. You cannot do it. You cannot be in the light and in the darkness at the same time. John 3 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you've been one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A slave to sin is born naturally. A slave to righteousness must be spiritually born again. One or the other. Obedience is the state opposite of sin. Obedience is listening to authoritative pronouncement and submitting to that in obedience. So, you cannot be a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness at the same time. You believe me? Oh, you don't look like it. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Keep your fingers in Romans 6. We're coming right back. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's check out, see if we can get some information about how this works, being able to be a slave to sin and trying to be a slave to righteousness at the same time. How can you do both? Let's see if we can figure it out. Drop down Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. We're not going to get into all the details. We're going to go quickly here. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. It's talking in context that a believer cannot be partakers of evil with non-believers. A believer is not to share in public darkness. In other words, if something sinful is going on, believers can't participate in that with non-believers. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. A believer will produce actions of light to others. You will show out light. You will show light. You were formerly in darkness, but now you are in light. You will show daily that you walk in the light because you will reflect that light and you will be light in this world. Verse 9. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Take that three steps here. The believer will reflect the love of God to others by all goodness. The believer will show tomorrow goodness in his actions and his actions. He will do things in order to help someone else. Their welfare, their goodness. He will do things to bless them. Then... A believer will reflect the righteousness of God to others. The righteousness of God is a gift that comes from God that's not self-generated. It does not happen by accident. You don't just do it. It comes from God, and you are to reflect that in your life tomorrow. You will do the righteous thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Third, you'll reflect the truth of God to others. Truth. Believers put truth into his life and actions so that truth stamps them as a born-again believer. Truth will identify you as a believer. When you hear somebody say something silly like, well, truth is subjective, you correct them and say, no, it's not. There is one truthful thing. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. 
You as a believer tomorrow will try to please the Lord. You will try to do what pleases Him. You'll try to seek out God's will. You'll try to do God's will. you try to do what He desires. You'll try to obey the commands in the Word of God. You will try to do God's will and please Him. Verse 11, Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Not only do we not do sinful things, Our job is to expose them. We're to say, no, that's not right. That is sin. And we cannot stand for it and let it go on. And we have to do the work of admonishment. And admonishment is an act of love. We love people by getting them to stop sinning. And we expose that. We correct that. So we got a number of things. I don't know how many, eight things that we as believers are supposed to do because we walk in light. You do it naturally because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, turn back to Romans 6. Now we've seen the two things that you cannot do. You're not supposed to enjoy sin. Uh, you are not supposed to uh, be a slave to sin and pretend to be a slave to righteousness at the same time are to be different. Now, why are you to be different? Glad you asked. I'm going to give you eight reasons so far, so far. Okay, here we go on the scale, public speaking scale. So far, our talk has been, whoa, down here. We're going to get it from there up to here. We're going to talk about now eight things that God changes in your life that makes not sinning an easy thing to do. You are going to say, if I do these eight things, I'll never sin again. You're going to look at these eight things and say, boy, these are the greatest gifts God's given Are you ready? Oh, come on now. I should have you on the edge of your seat. Okay? This is good news. Here we go. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God. Stop there. But thanks be to God. What are the responsibilities of being a believer as a slave to righteousness? What are the responsibilities that come supernaturally to you when you are saved so that God changes your desires, your desires, your, what your heart wants, what your will wants, what your spirit wants? How does he change your soul? What does he change about you to want something different? Here you go. The believer is to be different after salvation. And number one, the believer has a love for thanksgiving. A believer has a love for thanksgiving. If you, if you, if you, oh, if you have a family reunion this summer and all your family are non-believers, you should be the number one thankful person at that meeting. When you go to work, If all the non-believers at work outnumber you, you are to be the one person that is more thankful than anyone else in the room. When you go 
golfing and you play with non-believers, there you should be the one most thankful. Thankful about what? Thankful about everything. Everything. So, even if you have the worst day, you can be thankful to God that that was the only one for the year. You can be thankful about everything. When a non-believer is saved by grace, God supernaturally changes the sinner's desire from grumbling to thanksgiving. Every day is Thanksgiving for you guys. Thanks be to God. That word thanks there in the Greek is the same word we have for grace. It's the same word we have in chapter 6, verse 1. Same word, grace. If you wanted to translate it, you could probably translate it in English, but grace be to God. In other words, all blessings are to be to given to God. God, all blessings. In other words, I want, as a believer, to give you, God, all blessings for every breath I take. All blessings go to you because God deserves all thanks. God saved you from the slavery of sin. He slaved you he saved you from what would send you to death. Physical, spiritual, and eternal death. God moved you from the world of sin to the world of righteousness. He deserves your thanks. God is the source of mercy and love, which provides your salvation. You should thank Him. 1 Corinthians 15.57 15.57 But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. God gives you the victory. You should thank Him. Wait, there's more. Number two. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were slaves of sin. You were slaves of sin. Now what happened to you when you were a slave from sin? You needed a Savior so that you could be what? So that you could be forgiven. Therefore you need to be able to repent of your sins. You have victory over sin. You can confess your sins and be cleansed from your sins. You can commit a sin tomorrow by mistake and ask forgiveness, and God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, covers your sins. A believer has a love for repentance. A love for repentance. And if you don't like that word, you can put love for confession. You have a love for defeating sin. You will confess. You will repent of sin. You will from sin. You will do it every single time. You, you will do it. You will do it. And you will confess it and ask repentance. And you will be forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ. You were... Imperfect tense, a continual state in the past that's gone. You were a slave to sin. It's gone. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer in a state of being headed for eternal death. You're no longer headed down the wrong road. You are now in the right road, and you will always have 
from that first day of salvation to your last breath, you'll have a feeling and a thoughtfulness of repentance and confession. You're not a slave to sin. There's no neutral standing before God. You're either a slave to sin or not. But if you've been saved, you have the ability to be forgiven. Third, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient. You became obedient. What responsibilities that come supernaturally to a believer after salvation? Number three, a believer has a love for obedience. A love for obedience. You do not do good things to earn salvation, but after salvation, you do good things. Do you get it? That, that, should, that should blow a gasket in your thinking. It doesn't make sense. You don't do good things to earn your salvation. After salvation, you do good things. Why? Because God changes your desires. And you love to do the obedient thing. Okay, I, I, how, here you go. This is too personal. I shouldn't share it. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was trouble. If you think you have a child that's trouble, I outdid him. I was trouble. My dad, I was trouble for him. He said, the sky is blue. I said, no, it's red. But guess what happened? There was one thing that changed. Somewhere, somehow, somewhere in my 20s, I changed. And I didn't see him as the, the, the guy trying to make my life terrible to the guy who was trying to make my life better. And that's what happens when you're saved. You go from God being the guy that's trying to hurt you to God, the guy who's trying to help you. And that's exactly what his commands are in his word. Things to help you. If it says something in the Bible, do not do, do not do it. Because God said it to help you. And if you understand that, you will want to do the things he says to do. Because your desire is to obey. You want to obey. You want to do what he says. The whole Christian life is obedience. You want to obey. The first step you take in obedience is saving faith. When you're saved. From then on, every day is a step of obedience. You want to obey. You want to obey. You have to learn what to obey. You've got to learn the Bible, the doctrine, what he says. And then obey the doctrine. You obey everything God says, which we call living faith. You believe and trust and do the obedient thing. Fourth, here we go. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. From the heart. From the heart. A believer has a love for submission. I'll put it that way. 
You know, sometimes we get, words get bad reps, bad reputation. Here, submission is one of those. Submission is one of those. You know, in a bad marriage, you have the husband who yells at his wife and says, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me, okay? And the guy doesn't understand that the rest of the Bible is talking to him and he's supposed to submit to God. And if he was smitten to God, he wouldn't demand of his wife the way he was. So, you have the need to submit. And you submit, not in your outward actions, but from your heart. You have to submit from your heart. <laughs> little, uh, little story I read about a little girl. This was back back before seatbelts. A father is taking a little girl to the grocery store, wherever they're going, and the little girl is just little enough she could sit, stand on the seat and not hit her head, so she's that small. The father is telling her to and the little girl is standing, and she says, I'm going to stand. The father says, sit down. He says, the little girl says, no, I'm standing. And Father says, okay, I will stop this car and we will have a talk and a spanking. Little girl sits down. She says, a few minutes later, after quiet, she says to her dad, I may be sitting, but I'm still standing in my heart. And that's how it is. You have to be obedient and submissive to God from your heart. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're still sitting and grumbling against God, you're still grumbling against God. If you're standing, you're still grumbling against God. You're grumbling. But if you are sitting in your heart, if you are submissive in your heart, if you show respect to your authority from your heart, God is pleased. And he changes your desire so that from being a sinner to a saved believer, you want to submit to him. James 4, 6. He gives greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, those that stand, but gives grace to the humble. The first step of being saved is humility. And that comes with saving faith. Ezekiel 36.26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Talking to the Israelites, promising them a future with God in the new covenant that will come with the Messiah and His kingdom. Their heart will be changed. And at salvation, for us in the church age, our heart is changed and we submit to God. Number five. Number five. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. That form of teaching. What are the responsibilities that come supernaturally to a believer after salvation? Number five. A believer has a love for truth. A love for truth. You love the truth. You love it. Uh, I think it was John Wesley. It was either Charles or John. They said the way you, you tell a believer is his love for the Bible. The truth, 
the love for truth. It's a desire that changes from your life. Before you're saved, you don't have a love for the Bible. After you're saved, you love spending time in the Bible. You love the form of teaching that you learn at salvation, the form of teaching that grows in the study of the Bible, the form of teaching that grows when you come to church and hear a good preacher. I was talking to a, a deacon in another church, and he was talking about his uh, pastor and how pastor wasn't preaching the Word of God. And I said, well, what church are you going to then? He says, I'm going to that church. And I'm going, you're going to a church that doesn't preach the Bible? Why? Because a believer loves the Word of God. He loves the teaching that comes from the Word of God. It comes in a pattern, a form, a pattern. As the believer is the, is the heated, heated up metal that's poured into the mold. And the mold is the doctrine that comes from the Word of God. And it casts you in divine truth. You are the divine truth. One Puritan who lived when this nation was founded, he wrote, an imaginary, Christ, imaginary Christ, an imaginary Christ will not bring a real salvation. A half-truth presented as the whole truth is the complete untruth. Isn't that good? A half-truth presented as a whole truth is the complete untruth. You have to believe the truth. And the truth comes in this word, and it comes by studying the Word, and it comes by your personal study, it comes from coming to Bible study, coming to Sunday night Bible study, coming to Wednesday night Bible study, coming, 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 so you learn the truth. If you have a good church, they offer times where you can come and learn the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Same root word as we have in Romans 6. Apostles' teaching. You want to learn the truth. Number 6. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed to which you were committed. What's the responsibility that comes supernaturally to the believer after salvation? Number six, a believer has a love for learning. A love for learning. There's a hunger that God creates in you that is only satisfied by learning the Word of God. That comes from local doctrine. It comes from learning what it says about life and how to live it. There comes a good learning that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit that teaches you the Word of God and how to apply the Word of God. The teaching of Christ is done totally committed as making a judgment that the words come from the Creator of the universe. These words are important. And hopefully the pastor doesn't get in the way of you understanding the words of God. Number seven, next verse. Verse 18. Having been freed from sin. Having been freed from sin. What are the responsibilities that come supernaturally to a believer after salvation? Number seven, a believer has a love for freedom. A love for freedom. 
This is a love for freedom. Now, we use that word all the time. It could be used a number of different ways. It could be talking about a number of different things. But when the Bible talks about freedom, it talks about freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been freed. You have been freed. You have been freed. It no longer has power over you. You can live your life the way it's designed to be. Free from sin. Free from sin. You don't have the power of sin over you. You're free. God freed you for a reason. So you can tell other people how to be free. God freed you so that you would tell others how to be free. Now, let's say every Sunday you got up and you had to go to a church and you looked at a very fat pastor. Now, let's pretend the fat, fat pastor lost his fatness. What would you say as you shook his hand on the way out the door if you saw a skinny pastor when he used to be a fat pastor? You would say, how'd you lose your weight? Because you'd want to know how the pastor ended up being a skinny pastor. And guess how mean it would be if the pastor said, well, I'm not going to tell you. Would you want that kind of pastor? No. Boo. Boo, skinny pastors. Boo. No, you don't want that. You want them to tell you the secret. Now, guess what? There are a lot of people tomorrow that will be slaves to sin that you will shake hands with, meet, talk to. And every one of them is bound to sin. And eventually they're going to spiritually die, physically die, eternally die. You have the secret to share with them on how to be free. Tell them. Tell them. Satan lies to non-believers. When they get close to accepting Christ, Satan whispers in their ears, oh, you don't want to give up all the freedom you have to be a Christian. You'll have to put on a ball and chain. It'll be terrible. And that is a lie, lie, lie. If you are a sinner not saved, you have only one choice tomorrow to sin. The only people that have a choice tomorrow are believers. We can do the righteous thing tomorrow. Or you can sin and confess it and repent. You're the only one with freedom. Non-believer has no freedom. He sins. There's no gradual good works you can do to get into heaven. You can't do more good than bad to get into heaven. Sin cannot, cannot work. Sin doesn't get a slaver, don't get any slaving out of a dead slave. Sin, a dead slave is no longer listening to his master and sinning. 
If you get a dead slave, a dead slave is good for nothing. The dead slave is resurrected by the power of God so you can do righteousness. Your friends tomorrow need to know the good news on how you got so skinny. 8, verse 18. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. Number 8. What are the responsibilities that come supernaturally to a believer after salvation? Number eight, a believer has a love for justice. A love for justice. A love for justice. Now, this is not social justice, okay? That is a political move. That is not, a, a, it's not according to the definition of the Bible. Justice, according to the definition of the Bible, is doing righteousness. If you are doing acts of righteousness, you will be promoting justice. Social justice is a political movement. This permanent position of a slave of righteousness produces daily actions of justice, of righteousness. It's written passive tense. In other words, God does the works of righteousness through you. He does the works of justice through you. He does it through you. The believer was made by God to be a slave to righteousness and justice. He works through you to be just. God enslaved the believer so you can live a godly life. The believer is free to obey God. Righteousness. You cannot earn righteousness. You don't deserve righteousness. God gives it to you as a gift. God's righteousness is not merely a personal attribute of deity. It signifies righteousness, which conforms to his justice. If it's righteous, it is just. If it is just, it is righteous. And we do the righteous thing tomorrow. God has a plan for sinners to attain righteousness. It comes through the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him. Will I grow in my responsibilities to show the world that I have a powerful Savior who has changed my life from sin to righteousness? Will I grow in my responsibilities to show the world that I have a powerful Savior who has changed my life from sin to righteousness? The believer has been saved from being a slave to sin. He has supernatural power, new desires to do these eight things, and the ability to enjoy them. A believer has a love for thanksgiving, for repentance, for obedience, for submission, for truth, for learning, for freedom, for justice. It all comes through God's work in your life, in your salvation. (sighs) 
Okay, this is, this is farming stuff again. You're going to have to help me. Doesn't make sense to me. Farmer was making uh, sowing beans. At every place, he did three, he had put three seeds in. One for the worm, one for the crow, and one to grow plants. I don't understand that. Okay? It's Latin. In teaching children, you have to do the same three things. You got to tell them three times for them to remember and not forget. Because Satan comes twice trying to steal it. But the third time, hopefully to keep it. Every Sunday, your pastor's goal is for you to learn a little bit of doctrine from the Word of God so that out of the three seeds that are cast, two of them might not make it. But Lord willing, there'll be one seed that'll produce fruit. I don't know what it was. What did it have? I had ten points this morning. Ten seeds. I don't expect you to get all ten. But I'd like one seed to hit you so that you grow in your victory over sin this week. That that sin that seems to be your habit, you defeat this week. That sin of doing the wrong thing, of thinking the wrong way, of seeing the wrong thing, whatever it is, that reaction you have changes because you understand what God has given you. He changes your desires. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. Pray, Father, that you would help my friends and me as we battle with our sin nature, our old self. Help us, Father, to have victory over our old self. Help us, Father, to have victory that we can defeat the temptation when it's sin comes. I pray, Father, that you will help us to grow in understanding that our desires are different than a non-believer. We don't have the same desires they do. We are a slave to righteousness. We love justice. We promote holiness. Our life to be more holy this week than it was last week. Help us, Father, in our battle with sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.